just double check I've got it right, 12 to 26. And this is immediately following Jesus' ascension. Matthias chosen to replace Judas. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 12, and that's on page 1092 of the Church Bibles. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that reading. Let us pray together. Father, we bow before you this morning in awe and wonder. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ministry amongst us, your ministry of comfort, of truth, your ministry of mercy and love for each one of us. And Jesus, we worship you this morning. We lift your name up high and we ask that you will draw us closer to the Father today. Lord, we want to understand not only how to pray, when to pray, what to pray. And we thank you that you give us the amazing example of prayer in your own life, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you'll break open your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Wow, this is just, I said to the first service congregation members that it's dangerous to tell a South African or anybody from Africa, I'm making a generalization, that's okay, I'm from there so I can do that. Uh, Mike emailed me and he said to me, you've got 20 to 30 minutes, if you push it 20 to 30 minutes to speak. And I wrote back to him and I said, it's dangerous to tell us we've got exactly that amount of time. You need to half it and then we will probably double it. So he wrote back and said, you've got five minutes. <laughs> you can see why. Anyway, um, I just thought, let me show you a couple of pictures. So difficult, if you don't even know me, you know, what are you praying for? Who's this lady who's coming up here and waving her arms around and do all sorts of funny things? So let me just give you a couple of pictures. This thing should kick in if I press long enough. Somewhere. My, okay, that's fine. Anyway, I'm part of a team of about 16 people, and I thought I'll show a picture of the team, which I deeply, deeply love. And as I'm sitting here, they are praying. They are praying for us. Um, and let me just get to that. Yes, we're a mixed bunch. We're um, old and young. we all sorts of colors. We're part of a smarty box country with different nationalities. And that's exactly how our team is made up. We are all based in Pretoria, and then I sort of go out and come back, and we're a few of us that work in other places. And the, the whole thing that jealous together is prayer. And so when Mike said, um, you know, I'm someone who can speak on prayer, I thought, no, my goodness, I'm not. And then when I really started looking, I said, thank you, Lord, for a culture of prayer in our ministry, because our ministry started really out of prayer and not out of teaching, although a very important part of that is um, to teach. And that is where I spend most of my time. That's our center. If you ever come to Pretoria, please come and visit. It's got about 15 beds, and it's a really lovely, secluded place. Our land is very important for us, our center, because it's a safe place and a place where people can experience the presence of God. Right in the beginning, God gave us a scripture, surely the Lord is in this place. Every Friday morning, we meet together as a team. We just decided, you know, work starts at nine, but we're gonna push it till 10. It's worth it. And every Friday morning, we go around the whole base and we pray in every room, on every bed, in every seat that's on that base, and we actually pray and say, Lord, we desire your presence. Lord, whatever is not of you, we ask you to remove it. And it's incredible, one testimony after the other of people arriving and receiving healing. People arriving saying, I've never experienced the presence of God. I'm saying this in a huge amount of humility because it's nothing, nothing to do with us, but all to do with him who desires to have his presence amongst us. When we seek him for that, he will. And it was so true this morning when you said, the presence of God is here. That's where he can work. Let us look at prayer. And I sort of named it constantly united in prayer because that is the key scripture in verse 14 where they got together and they were constantly, in the New Living Translation, united in prayer. Luke is a doctor who wrote this book. He's a factual man. He doesn't just sort of write and say, okay, well, 
have it and get it as it is, or a little bit of waffle here or there. He was absolutely accurate. And this bit that you see here in Acts chapter one is nicely sandwiched between a load of events that was quite traumatic for them, I think. Put yourself into the shoes of the disciples, just for a minute. I don't know whether you're like me, like Peter, always up there doing it before I'm, I'm thinking really, or whether you're like John, lying, or your only desire is to lie on the chest of Jesus, to be right there with him. I don't know whether you're um, like Thomas, always saying, but what if? What if this happened and what if that happened? So they have gone through a time of loss. Jesus told them, I will go, but he has gone. <laughs> they have gone through a time where they probably felt like they failed him. They haven't really done enough to be with him, to learn from him. They probably were in a place where they were certain about certain instructions. They were certain there's a mandate ahead. They were certain that there's a promise. They were certain that they heard him right when he said, go back to Jerusalem. And he didn't only say it once, he says it in Luke chapter 24 also, go back to Jerusalem. And then they had a very, 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 very important instruction. And his instruction was not go into all this world and be my witnesses and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it was that. But actually, he said, go back to Jerusalem and do what? Wait. I remember being in this church and I came in here sitting at the back. No confidence to stand up and speak. I used to be able to, I lost my confidence. I think the disciples was a bit like that. He's not here, suddenly there's changed. Who do we actually sort of hang on to? And I remember how I struggled to even pray. And the lady in this church, and I will name her, Marilyn Took, took me under her wing. And she placed me on a chair in a prayer room, and she said, talk to the Father. I've got nothing to say to him. I'm, <laughs> I know I've experienced loss. I know I was broken. And I knew God had a vision in my life. He gave me a very clear vision that I will be working in Africa and will be to do to bring healing to the broken heart. Absolutely clear in my mind about the mandate. But unable, ill-equipped and not feeling, up, not feeling up to it. I was a pharmacist, very confident in my pharmacy work, but when it came to praying, when it comes to walking in God's ways and his destiny, I was unable to. And when God said, wait, I said, well, wait for what? <laughs> so I did a couple of courses, and I did some training through Allah, and I thought, now I can go back to Africa, now I can do it. And God said, wait, on the last day of my training, someone gave me a scripture in Psalm 27, wait patiently with that, wait patiently. So the disciples was finding themselves almost in exactly the same place. They've done church, they've done all the stuff, A, B, C, D, E, but they knew there was a promise that says there's more. 
And in that 10 days from loss, feeling a bit like a failure, maybe I don't know what they felt like, maybe not that confident, there's 10 days of waiting. They didn't know how long they're gonna wait, but it was 10 days. And in that 10 days, we have a little picture of them walking half a mile from Mount of Olive, the Mount of Olive to back to Jerusalem. Was it an easy place to go back to? Jerusalem. It was politically full of tension. There was death, a reminder of death there. There was opposition to that which they were witnesses of. There was actually a place of economic insecurity. And perhaps you find yourself unexpectedly this year in a place of economic uncertainty in this nation, of spiritual uncertainty. When we look around us in Europe and places sort of bordering ourselves. It's not an easy place to be in, it's easier. So many people in South Africa left because it's so difficult. Many of you may be knowing some of those people. But Jesus says to us, wait. And it was in this church where I sat one Sunday and God said to me, read Acts 1 verse 8. And I read it when I was asking God this question, can I go back now, I'm trained up, I've had some prayer with Malin, I, 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 um, I now can sort of stand up a bit and talk and that, can I go back now? And I begged him, please Lord, take me to that vision, that place where you said, I will go and heal the brokenhearted. And he said to me, wait in the city. That very scripture in Acts chapter one verse eight, wait in the city. And in that waiting time, it was about three years before he released me to go. In that waiting time, I had to go to the upper room. The upper room prayer time. The upper room waiting time. I'm not sure whether you've waited. Waited for the doctor, waited for the dentist, waited for the train. We all wait, we all have to wait sometimes. Wait in the queue. We get impatient. We actually wanna get there, we want to be on that journey. And God says, wait, why did they have to wait? There was stuff that needed desperately to be settled and sorted. If I was in Jerusalem, I probably would have looked at how can I organize an outreach? How can I go and do a sermon? How can I go and, because that, that clear instruction was there, go and be my witnesses. And he said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and then the ends of the world, just to make sure nobody escapes. But you see, what I've learned from ministering to missionaries, and I was in the same place, many of them are out there because it's too difficult in Jerusalem. And I wanna say today to you, St. Saviors, well done for staying in Jerusalem. Well done that you've taken my hand and walked with me. Well done that you've taken me, not only Madeline, but many sitting here, provided a place for me to belong. Well done for, yes, supporting me, but that's the outflow. It was those early years. Well done for 
giving me a place where I could learn to pray. Because it's in this place where God spoke to me, download after download after download. But I had to wait. And I want to say to you, I don't know what you're waiting for. You see, sometimes I meet people and they say to me, oh, God has given me such an amazing vision to do this or to do that. And, and it's not always, you know, going to Rwanda or going to there. I want to say to you, what is he saying to you about Jerusalem? Because it was in these very streets, Jill, that you're talking about, that, that I also prayed with people. It was so tough. It was so against what I like doing, I like being out on adventure. But that became adventure. It was in those moments when you're on the street there, standing with someone having coffee, and you're interacting, that you become the upper room deposited into a place of need. I'm not sure whether you are still on Mount Olive where you've had loss and failure. I'm not sure whether you find yourself in the upper room right now saying they met together and they prayed in unity constantly or whether you're already out there going for it and saying, Lord, I want more. I don't know if you're fearfully trembling between Mount Olive and the upper room, but I wanna just be still for a minute, or stand still this minute for a minute, about what actually happened in that upper room. I don't know, I mean there's different views on this, but some say this upper room was the same upper room where Jesus introduced them in the Last Supper to the covenant of oneness through his blood, his body, and his bloodshed for them. Imagine that. If it was the same upper room, where they also stayed and belonged, then that upper room had the presence of Jesus in it. Do you agree? So I don't think it's a particular place that you need, a room or a, and people look at the movie War Room and they put war rooms up, it's fantastic. But the upper room is in your heart. The upper room is in someone else's heart. They met together. Were they intercessors? Yes, they were disciples chosen. But they were those who knew him. Do you know him? If you know him, you qualify. You see, in our ministry, the Lord said to us, do away with this sort of group that can only hear from God. In 2006, when I first arrived, we did away with the intercessors. <laughs> I believe there's an office of intercession, absolutely true, and within that group, fantastic people hearing God like, absolute like you can hear me through this microphone. But you can hear him. You in Jerusalem can hear his voice. And you know what? There's someone else who can hear him and you can get together. You don't have to wait for a special prayer meeting or a special fasting. What is he saying to you? When last did you hear him? Just think for a minute. When last did you actually hear God's voice? 
Have you lost that? Are you longing for that? Because you can't be in the upper room getting ready for the outpouring of the Spirit, which is the next event. Things are unsettled and not closed off if you don't know him. If you know him, you qualify for the upper room. If you hear him, that is important. And if you can't hear him, I wanna say to you, sometimes Mount Olive, the place of loss, the place of maybe saying goodbye to a loved one, hold us back to be in the upper room and to hear what's for now. God said to us, it's important to minister into people's past, but ask them, what is God saying now? And we've done that. We told our pre-ministry team, yes, explore that in the past, it's important, but what is God saying to the person now? And we have realized that in the church, many, many Christians are coming and sitting in the church, and then they come on courses with us, they come for prayer ministry, but actually they can't hear God's voice. And I don't wanna condemn you today, but I wanna say to you, he says in John chapter 10, my sheep knows my voice. Do you know his voice? Because I see the most amazing moves, whatever you want to call it, in charismatic land or in evangelical land, I see the most amazing transformations taking place when a person hears from God themselves. And when that person can hear and come with another person and agree, because that is actually what another version says in verse 14, they agreed that this is worth it. And you are in Jerusalem. You can make a difference. But who are you meeting up with? Who are you agreeing with? Or are you agreeing with the past? You see, God said to me, there's a blockage for you to hear my voice and to pray in unity with others because there's judgment in your heart. And in order for God to speak to us in the upper room, the Lord took us as a team in the beginning of this year to Exodus chapter 33, another scripture that God gave me in this church and an experience he gave me in this church in the early 2000s. He led me to Exodus 33 where Moses was facing the Israelites, I've just had the golden calf, they just been in horrendous sin, couldn't wait, had to do it their own way, and then Moses cries out to God in repentance. And he says, who will go with me to the promised land? I'm feeling all on my own. And God says, my presence will go with you. That's enough. We're looking for amazing programs, they're great. But if the presence of God is not in it, we're gonna miss it. And us as a team this year, when we looked through Exodus 33, God actually said to them, remove your ornaments. It was a hard word. And so we had to go and we had to look at what are our ornaments. And I'm just gonna quickly look at that. The ornaments we had was pride. We know it. We know, we, our name. 
our opinions, our positions. We've seen it before, so we just do it the same way as before. You see, God wants to have a fresh, a fresh deposit of what's on his heart, but we need to come in humility. And if we look back at the Mount of Olives and say, I should have known better, or I do know better, I pray in pride. God desires holiness, and he spoke to us about removing our ornaments that affects his image, because that's not how he dressed us. He covered us with his holiness through the blood of Jesus. But our own ornaments that we've put on is in the way because it doesn't look like him. So we're doing things in a certain way. And he said to us, remove it. He also said to us, look at dishonesty. I said, Lord, we, we really, we, we work full time for you. We're honest people. And one of our teams said, she really feels, God says, that items that don't belong to us need to be returned. And we're all a bit like, you know, what kind of a ridiculous thing is this now? And actually he said, I want you to take all the pens that you've got in your car, writing pens, my accent is a bit different there, all the pens that you've taken from the ministry when you've just kind of gone out the door and said, oh yes, let me just grab a pen, remove it. It's not reflecting my image, it's in the way. Sin is sin. And God said, small sin is in the way and there are ornaments. Judgment in your heart affect my holiness. He also spoke to us about truth, being truthful to each other. And you see, in the upper room, they grew, there was 120 in another place they met, and there was unsettled business. They were probably angry with Judas. They probably felt a bit betrayed, and it's the people closest to us that hurt us the most. Do you agree? Those who you never expected, even in the church, we get hurt. And I was one of those who hurt my leaders. I judged them. I gossiped about them. I've pulled them down in a way, not what I was speaking always, but what I was thinking. It's not about what you say or you do. It's what's in our hearts that affect his holiness. And there had to be reality in order for God to bring perspective and to bring his spirit to move. And as we sat, I actually went up to my leaders and I said, I'm sorry, I gossiped about you. I'm sorry that I've pulled you down. This is about four years ago. I'm sorry for the way that I have put doubt in other people's hearts about your leadership. And I wept. The Lord said to me, I want you to do teapot prayers. And I said, what's a teapot prayer, Lord? He said, a teapot cannot be in its purpose if it stands up straight. It has to be tilted over in order to be poured out. And at that place, I had to repent and say, Lord, I've judged. Lord, I have been disappointed. And out of my disappointment, I've judged. Will you forgive me? And out of that a deep love developed between me and my leadership. A deep love and trust between us as team because that filtered right down into the team and filtered right down into the people who come to us. People coming through that door 
will not pick up which songs you sing, which beautiful things you do in this church is beautiful. But what they will pick up is who you are. What they will pick up is who you are amongst one another. And I wanna congratulate you because you've ministered to me in that way. I'm not here anymore. I've got no idea. But do they pick up the reflection of what God is showing you? I'm not saying you should be perfect because I'm definitely not. He asked us to be full of integrity, transparency. We had to be open. And then intercessory prayer. Not first intercession for this, that, and all these great things, but actually relationally, where are we at? We had to take a deep look. And this whole year, we've been busy. A week after God gave us Exodus 33, where it says, Moses went into the tent of meeting and God spoke to him face to face like a friend speaks to a friend. We said, Lord, that's what we desire. A week after we had a week of prayer in January, someone phoned us up and said, I've got a 20 meter sea container that came for shipping goods. And I have fully kitted it out and I want to donate it to your ministry as a tent of meeting. We've spent hours in it, individually, together. And it's got nine prayer booths where you can just go and rest with God. Pour out your heart. It's a place of repentance, a place of taking communion with him. And God has spoken. We have opened it up for pastors, leaders, missionaries, and people who have come on courses with us, on us um, at our center. And the most amazing healings are happening in the presence of God. Nothing, nothing that we've done, but we have been obedient to removing our ornaments. They join together constantly in prayer, united. Unity will, demands, will demand sacrifice. There is no unity without sacrifice. And that sacrifice is sometimes not to give up your job, to give up your car and go to another country. But that sacrifice is sometimes to go and say sorry. That sacrifice is sometimes to say, Lord, I haven't heard your voice for a long time and I desire that. Lord, I've been impatient to wait. I've done my own thing. I'm coming back to the starting point, to the upper room. Because just after that upper room, we see Peter again. <laughs> right up there, standing up, reminding them and giving them perspective. Out of the upper room, there now became a new vision, a new way of seeing things, the, God's, that the way God sees it, because he says, it's been prophesied that he will die and be replaced. And then a lovely bit, Lord, show us what to do. You know our hearts. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, show us what to do. You know our hearts. Now, whether the casting of lots, I don't want to talk about that bit. But all I knew is they were seeking God. You see, we may go back to the Old Testament, which is what they did. They cast lots. That's not how Jesus chose disciples. But they went back to that. But yet, God did not hold the Holy Spirit back, say, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh we don't cast lots here in this church. <laughs> You're gonna make mistakes. 
I made terrible mistakes. And I stand amazed. Why do you use such a little unimportant girl? In why? Why? Because I love you. And the moment you're in the upper room saying, Lord, please remove my ornaments, settle my loss, bring healing to my failures, there's a readiness for the spirit to move in a new way. Meeting together does not mean we're gonna pray intercessory prayers. My last story, 2008, I developed a desire to pray for people with HIV AIDS and four of our colleagues got together. One of my black um, uh, partner pastors, friend of mine, um, a Swazi lady, uh, an English lady, and I'm Afrikaans. So here we are, all have a heart to minister to people in, uh, infected with HIV AIDS. And as we started that journey, meeting every week to pray, God, we want to see what are the, the, the issues that we need to do prayer ministry into for these people with HIV AIDS. The Lord says, start with yourself. Well, we don't have HIV. Well, you know what? Hosea came and he says, you know what? Your Afrikaners, actually, you have fed my mother out of the dog's plate. And my English friend said, we, not, we don't want to speak Afrikaans because that's beneath us English. It's the language of the oppressor. And I started saying sorry and we were on the carpet. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight sessions every week. When are we gonna get about AIDS, Lord? No, your hearts are full of ornaments. Come in agreement, not about how we should do things, but come in agreement with your hearts in humility, holiness, integrity, transparency. And today, literally, I've come back last weekend where we do reconciliation workshops. The four of us, plus another lady, a colored lady who came with us now, and the five of us are actually, have God has given us the amazing, amazing grace to run reconciliation workshops where we are working and helping people from different races. I've heard the most amazing forgivenesses, the most hateful stories last weekend when a Zulu man stood up and said, I hate Afrikaners from the bottom of my heart. A man when I was 13 who I worked for he made me clean his swimming pool with acid and no gloves on. I hate Afrikaners. I had an Afrikaner standing up saying, I hate blacks because my husband's been eight times held up with a knife, with guns. That's the kind of place we're living in. That's it. And as they shared and became teapots, pouring out their hearts in humility before one another, we facilitated and helped them in that process of forgiveness, repentance, agreeing with God that we need each other to build the country. I want to end and want to encourage you, wait together. Wait together. Pray united and love as one. Can we close our eyes for a moment? And we're gonna, I'm just gonna 
allow you for a moment. I don't know whether you are in the place of lost, stuck still, failure, or whether you're in the upper room, waiting, not knowing what to do, thinking you need to do this or that or the other, or whether you've left the upper room and say, God, you know my heart, I'm ready to go because there are people like that here today. You've waited long enough and God says it's time to get up and go. I wanna pray for the first group first who felt stuck at the Mount of Olives because of disappointment, pain, loss and failure. Father, I pray for those at the Mount of Olives where they feel far from you they feel that you've left them. They, felt they may even feel disappointed in you. Lord, thank you that we can pour out our hearts to you in this day and say, Lord, it hurts. We miss it. We miss you. I miss you. I miss your voice. I don't know you anymore. And I pray, Lord, for a reconnection with your voice again. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling to hear your voice. I really sense there's people here today who's, who, who have not heard God for a long time and you're longing for it. And if, if you want to give me, a, if we just close our eyes, you want to give me a little indication, I just want to particularly pray for those people. Just, you know, when, when we indicate with our body, it's that which God has placed in our hearts. Just if you have a longing to hear God's voice afresh, just give me a little indication with your hand. Father, thank you. Spirit of God, I pray in this moment, will you unblock our spiritual ears? Lord, will you come and remove that which feels stuck, dry in a desert? And those who are waiting in that place, Lord, I pray now, Spirit of God, refresh their hearts. Jesus, you prayed that they may be one as we are one. And I pray that you will come and draw them into the love of the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit today. We break the power of anything of the enemy that hold us back to hear from you, Lord. Lord, I pray for those today who are ready to go. If that's you, if you just sense God says, you've waited, I've equipped you, you're fearful, but it's really time to go. I want you to just indicate with your hand if there's even one person here today. God, I pray for that lady, and I pray in Jesus' name that you will come powerfully upon her, Lord. Lord, I pray where she may not know where to go or how to go, that you will give her others to meet together, to come into agreement. Lord, I pray that your spirit will come upon them, and Lord, whatever they need to go, I pray that they will know you as the abundant Father. Lord, I pray that they will know you as the Acts 2, Father, the one who poured out your spirit. Father, I pray that your power will come upon them and that they will be able, Lord, to walk in their destiny. We pray that and we trust you, Lord, in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, and we love you, Lord. Let's just declare our love to God. Just stretch your hands out and say, Father, I love you. Lord, I love you. I declare my love to you. Lord, I want to go out and love as one. In Jesus' name, amen.